Let's uh, open up our Bibles to John chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Um, we're a church that wants to build our life, uh, our affections, our thoughts, our mission uh, upon the Word of God. Um, so I encourage you to have a Bible open or at least an app open. I know this is Silicon Valley. So, But John 4, verses 1 through 30, it's the story of the woman at the well. Um, interestingly enough, at the Kids Club Splash Camp we had this past week, which was great, uh, this was kind of the leading story as well. Um, but it's, it's an amazing scene, and I, I want to read it before we begin. It says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. But Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have isn't even your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit. And truth, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful for the gift of God, the grace of living water given to thirsty people. I'm so grateful that your son has pursued even a sinner like me. That you found me in the midst of my brokenness. With my heart like a desert. And you invited me into something so much more. And you saved me. You revived me. You restored me. You renewed me. You set my feet on level ground. Came out skipping like calf from its stall. God, you've been good to us and we as a church want to join you in your mission. The same mission we see depicted here. To pursue the broken, lost, and even those remaining broken and wandering places in our own hearts and to see them restored through the gospel and the grace of God and brought back to you, brought back into genuine, authentic community and brought into the grander purpose and mission of God. Lord, we pray. You would help us as a church. I ask that you would grant help to me right now, even as I preach. In your name, I ask these things. Amen. Um, Okay, so this morning, as I said, we're going to be unveiling uh, a few things. Um, But the first would be the new mission statement for the church, um, which you see outlined in your handout. The second, actually, is um, a new logo. Um, So kind of actually coming off of the mission statement really is going to be a new um, logo that we're going to use for the church moving forward. I'll show you that, actually, at the very end of the service. I didn't want to, like, bring that into the middle here. That just didn't seem appropriate to me. Um, But I do want you to see it, and I want you to see how... um, what we're going to talk about here this morning connects with actually um, the logo that we designed. And then actually later on this week, originally I was hoping for today, but it wasn't going to happen. Uh, we're going to be, well, hopefully later on this week or perhaps by uh, next Sunday, 
at the latest. Uh, we'll, we're basically looking to launch a new website, so we've been working on that, um, hoping in all of this really to deal with some fundamental stuff as a church, lay some good foundation, so hopefully we can uh, more effectively extend our reach into the neighborhoods, into this city, uh, for the glory of God. So as you see these things, as you have comments, questions, whatever, um, please let me know if you have feedback. Uh, Nothing is set in stone. I'm always happy to, to hear and, and, and look at what we might do. But uh, it's kind of exciting. Now, I will say this. if You're probably wondering, if today we're going to be uh, unveiling the new mission statement, why am I reading this long text from John about this woman at a well? What does that have to do with the new mission statement? Well, I want you to know that Essentially, uh, though I'm going to kind of stay pretty high level with that text there um, in John, not going to go deep like I usually do. You might wonder, how is Nick going to pull off 30 verses? Uh, I'm not. I'm just going to kind of dip in here or there. But the, the reality is I'm just going to kind of bake together my explanation of the new mission statement with a, 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 an exposition of that text. Because I think you will benefit from seeing how the mission statement we have here, the mission that we as a church want to be on, is really the, the mission that Jesus is on here with this woman and all over the Gospels. I could have gone anywhere. But I think it's especially clear in that text. So that's kind of what we're going to be uh, doing here today. But um, before I dive into an explanation of the new statement, I did think a few words need to be in order with regard to why. Why Why a mission statement? Why a new mission statement? What's the deal? Um, so let me do that quickly. And I'm going to try to stay on point. I don't want to get off track on this. The main thing I want, where I really want to take flight, is when I get into uh, John 4 with you guys and unfolding the statement. So let me at least give you a few things. Why? Why the change? And I suppose before I can even answer that, uh, we should read it together. You might see it there up at the top. I think it's a big idea on your handout. But the statement um, is this. Mercy Hill exists to help restore you to God, neighbor, and city through the good news of Jesus Christ. One more time. Mercy Hill exists to help restore you to God, neighbor, and city through the good news of Jesus Christ. So why? Why the change? Um, as I kind of tried to boil down my reasons here, uh, I recognize these words probably won't help you, but bear with me. Uh, I came up with three, really. Uh, one reason would be accessibility. Um, another reason would be uh, directionality. It, it, it gives clearer direction, you'll see. And then uh, third, coherency. Uh, again, i got to try to deal with these quickly, and I know that's not helpful uh, as it stands, so I better explain a little bit what I mean. Um, accessibility. So the statement we had prior, I liked it, I wrote it, I want to live by it, but I did find that uh, perhaps I tended not to use it because I felt like it required too much explanation to kind of get to the acronym, amplify, and all this stuff. It seemed a little bit complicated, and it used words that perhaps someone coming in from the outside, a visitor, might go, wait, what exactly is this church about? Adore, manifest, and proclaim. I'm not 
glory of God. And the, so it used a little bit uh, more perhaps opaque terminology and, and, and verbiage. Um, and as I thought and prayed more about and talked with the elders as well about kind of what we might have as a, a mission statement, uh, realized that one of the things that I want is for people, outsiders even, unbelievers, whatever, somebody coming to our church website, looking, somebody just visiting, reading our bulletin, whatever it is, uh, to be able to, to be able to actually access what it is that we're about. Uh, I want, I want them to be able to understand what we are about number one, but then also to perhaps even see why they might need what we as a church have to offer in Jesus Christ. Now, don't hear me say that this is a sales pitch, advertising sort of thing. It's not that at all. It's the same sort of thing that Jesus is doing with this woman at the well. He meets her where she's at. She's thirsty. He's okay. You're thirsty. All right, let's talk about water. And then he brings her into something deeper, right? And so I want a mission statement as a church, a banner that we fly over our church, to be accessible. Both they can understand the, the words, because they're common language kind of words, and also uh, there's a common sort of experience, and it speaks into a common need, a shared need that we as human beings have. Let me show you what I mean by that. Um, when you think of just simply choosing... Uh, Pretty common everyday words. Um, this is actually why we even decided not to go with gospel, if you noticed in the statement there. I love gospel. I love gospel-centered everything. I want to be a gospel-centered church. Absolutely. But it, it occurred to me that if you're kind of outside, you go, what exactly is gospel? Is that a genre of music? Is that uh, I'm not quite sure. So we went with more common vernacular. Good news. Okay, I can grab a hold of good news. Gosh, sure wish there was more good news when I turn on, you know, TV at night. I can grab a hold of that. So words that perhaps are uh, able to be understood a little bit more clear. Um, from the standpoint of, of uh, accessing it in terms of they can see why they need they can, they can, they can, they've experienced something of what we're talking about in our mission statement. Let me show you this. While an outsider, while an unbeliever, while someone out in our city might not, they probably wouldn't grant me that they need to be restored to God. Okay? Probably wouldn't go there with me. I am willing to bet that they would look at the idea of being restored to neighbor or other people in relationships or being restored to city, this idea of perhaps uh, having purpose and meaning in your life and the place that you inhabit, I'm willing to bet they long for that. They see their need for that. I mean, think about it with me. Uh, think about neighbor for a moment, being restored to neighbor. Um, I am sure that from time to time, if not all the time, people all around our city lie awake at night wondering, why in the world? Are my relationships so riddled with conflict? I mean, why won't my kids just listen to me? Why, as I'm laying here in bed next to my spouse, why is it like there is a, there might as well be a brick wall running down the center of this mattress? Because we're so separate from one another. Why is this so hard? Why is it that when I let somebody into my heart, it always seems like they just leave it more broken than before? 
What am I supposed to do? But you see, they, they live in a fallen world. We all live in a fallen world. We get this. They might not know why all these things are broken and what's going on, but they live in it. They experience it and they long for the restoration that we know only Jesus can bring them. Who can restore me to neighbor? Who can make relationships right? With regard to the idea of city and them kind of accessing that idea. What I mean really by city, the city is just a place you inhabit. It's the place you work, rest, play, live. So the idea of being restored to city then is really the idea of being restored to a sense of purpose and life in the place that you occupy. It's gaining a clearer clearer sense of why you're here, what you're doing, and perhaps even who you're doing it for. Do you think people in the Silicon Valley are wondering, are asking these sorts of questions? The guy who, you know, his alarm goes off at 5.30, 6 a.m. again, he hits it, and he goes and, you know, brushes his teeth and eats his breakfast, gets in the car to sit for an hour on his way to the office, works 10 hours or more that day, then drives home just to kind of get ready to do it again. you think that guy sometimes stops and goes, man, what is the point? Why am I here? Isn't there more than this? I mean, sure, it's awesome. I'm in Silicon Valley, and it's great to work for this startup or that Fortune 500 company, but man, I feel like I am on my way to a stomach shot through with ulcers just trying to keep up with this place. Is, Is this it? Hopefully, our statement is a bit more accessible. They can see, wait, yeah, they might not grant us God at first. They might not grant us good news as the answer at first. But man, they go, oh, I do long for that. We live in a fallen world. We live in a Genesis 3 world, a world under those curses. We know we're all experiencing this stuff, and we know the one who removes the curse. So, The hope, then, is that because the mission statement is more accessible, both in the everyday language that it uses and in the everyday experiences it points to, uh, hopefully this, this will actually start to awaken deep and ancient longings in the hearts even of unbelievers. And it points them in the way of help. Um, second thing I said, so first, the idea of accessibility, one of the reasons for the change. Um, second, now, the idea of directionality. It is the fancy noun. I'm sorry about that. It just means it points us in clear directions, perhaps clear. I always was kind of wondering, how do I bring in a door manifest proclaim into the actual, like, action lists of our church and our boots on the ground kind of stuff? It, it remained general and broad. This gets a little bit more specific. It really orients us. I think it, it sends forth clear lines for our church to march in. And I'll show you that. In particular, I'm thinking of those three words there, God, neighbor, and city. You can see these really as three arrows pointing us in three particular directions. Um, restoring you to God through the good news of Jesus Christ directs our, our church and its energies upwards, right? Restoring you to God pushes our church upwards. It shows us, man, let's build out ministries that lead people through the gospel back to God. That's why we give ourselves to things in our church like, say, preaching, sermons, and the word. 
Or we give ourselves to times of musical worship, singing songs, lifting the eyes upward to God. Or we give ourselves to prayer meetings and other things like that. So we build out ministries that kind of follow in line with that idea. The good news restoring you to God. Or if you look at the idea of restoring you to neighbor through the good news of Jesus Christ. This directs the energies of our church, you might say, inwards. Um, when I say neighbor here, I want you to understand I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about the neighbor down the street. Uh, I am. But what I am saying, I think, is that the only way you're really going to be restored to neighbor, the only way you're really going to be restored to another person, is if you meet that person around the cross of Jesus Christ. So Jesus takes the church and he brings Jew and Gentile together and he, he obliterates that dividing wall. Not just Jew, Gentile, but husband, wife. Takes that wall down. The only way we start to have community like that is if we start to do it around the cross together. So when I'm talking about restoring you to neighbor through the good news of Jesus Christ, I'm talking about this, this energy that should move us as a church actually inwards towards one another, towards deeper fellowship and learning how to know and love each other and how to let our own junk come out and let other people love us, however imperfectly. And we can continue to grow in that because we have the cross at the center. And his grace sustaining. So because of this direction, we have things like we build out ministries like our home groups. Where you guys can fellowship around the table. Get to know one another. Get into the details of each other's lives. Or this is why we do things like covenant membership. Or even first Sunday fun day. Or camping trips. The idea of, of, of building Christ-centered community and, and allowing organically our people to be restored to, to one another and actual meaningful relationships because of the gospel. And then third, uh, the idea of restoring you to city through the good news of Jesus Christ directs our, our energies as a church outwards. So we don't just kind of get restored to God in Jesus and then to one another in Jesus and then kind of hunker down and, and enjoy our time until Jesus comes back. No, he sends us out. We go back to that very same city we've always, you know, entered. We walk the same roads we've always walked and neighborhoods we've always been in. We do the same sorts of things. But now, because of the good news of Jesus Christ and the way it has changed us, the community that we've been brought into, we have a new purpose. A new sense of why we're here. We're reoriented to our daily stuff, like even just being a mom or, or going to work or doing yard work or sitting around the dinner table. It all starts to shimmer with eternal significance because we've been brought into a bigger, grander story, the story of God. So this is why, as a church, we, we're going to try to build out ministries, uh, you know, with regard to evangelism. Or it's why we partner with ministries like Kids Club or Real Options or uh, Sahara Clinic or other things like that, Foster the Bay. It's why we're going to talk about more and more. I can't, I love it. I can't wait for the years to come to just kind of start thinking more and more about how does our faith connect to our work, our vocation, or missional motherhood, or Whatever. How does the gospel send lines out all throughout this city so that everything I'm doing has new significance and meaning? 
We're going to give ourselves to that sort of thing as a church. So hopefully you can see how there are kind of clearer lines, I think, that come out of this and really start to move towards boots-on-the-ground sort of ministry, mission. Uh, Finally there, the third was coherency. I'm not going to go into this at all, but what I mean by that is that really this mission statement just fits uh, cleaner, it kind of dovetails into our, our larger kind of va- sense of values and, and vision as a church. You could probably see it, I will show you this, uh, you could probably see how God, neighbor, city, uh, dovetail or kind of undergird uh, those values that I've put forward and they're in your bulletin every week, but maybe you haven't noticed and maybe you have, uh, of faith, community, and mission. So those just those values really just show you how, in, in particular, the good news of Jesus Christ restores you to God, neighbor, city. How do you get restored to God through the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, through faith fixed on the good news. How do you get restored to neighbor through the good news? What exactly happens? Well, through community centered around the good news of Jesus Christ. How do you get restored to city through the good news? What exactly does that mean? Well, it's through mission that's been mobilized by the good news of Jesus Christ. So it just sits at the center of this mission statement, does it kind of fits better as a, as a whole with where we're going. I mean, just to be straight up clear with you guys, you want to, you want to look at my computer, you're going to see my folder structure. This is my folder structure for the church. I got you know, upper front, faith ministries, community, outer. This is how I organize all that I hope because I think it comes out of God's design for us. And so I don't ever want to lose sight of, man, this is what we want to build out as a church. This is where we want to go. Now, how long was that? Hopefully that wasn't too long or too boring. I'm sorry. I am ready to uh, start un- uh, unfolding more. Obviously, a bit of the statement st- hopefully is starting to make sense to you even now, but... I want to start actually unfolding it piece by piece here with you. And this is where we'll kind of return to uh, the woman at the well and the story there as well. Um, so first, let's look at this uh, bit by bit. We read, Mercy Hill exists to help restore you. Stop. Restore you. Focus in on that word restore with me for a moment because what we're saying there is is that Things are not the way they were designed to be. The way things are currently, something's off. Something's gone wrong. And we need restoration. Restoration means it once was this, now it's this. How do we get back? So you should read into this the idea of Eden. Where we were with God and we were his people and enjoyed fellowship with one another naked and unashamed. However awkward that would be now for us to consider. And we did have a a mission and a purpose in the place that we were given. And we were working for him. And then we forfeited it in our sin. And fell from that. And then the curses in the world that we now have. So read into this idea of restoration Eden. But then also now read into it this idea of the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Paradise. Where in between Eden and the new heavens and new earth, Jesus comes to restore. And even in Acts 3, I think 21, it says, man, he's going to restore all things. 
That's his mission. Restoration. The church is God's restoration project. This is what he's going to do here with this woman at the well. And you see it. Like you and I and everyone in this city, this woman too is broken. Many commentators have pointed out a couple of things that seem off about her behavior from the start of this text. I'll bring it out for you here. First, they make note of the fact that she comes at what, at least in our text, is um, called the sixth hour. Jesus is there about the sixth hour, which according to uh, Jewish calculation would have been noon, high noon. So what the commentators say is that this is not when women would go get water. This is the heat of the day. Even Jesus is sitting there in his humanity, wearied at this point of the day because it's hot. Women would come out with their jars and things to get water in either the early morning and the coolness of the early morning or the evening, but not the middle of the day. That's strange. And then secondly, commentators point out that it's strange this woman comes alone. Women would typically come with uh, their friends or their family or others in their community uh, to draw water. Probably for safety and fellowship. Such observations have caused most all commentators to conclude that here what we have is a woman who must be dealing in one way or another with shame. So she's coming alone at a time when no one else will be there. Shame in this woman's heart. I don't want to be seen. Why? Well, the clear indication, I think, from our text is that this shame is resulting from the matter Jesus goes on to speak with her about there in verse 18. When he starts talking about her husbands and you've had five husbands and the guy who you're living with now isn't your husband. What's going on? In our day, perhaps, sadly, um, sleeping around actually gets you even more popularity. You can become cooler in your, depending on which circle you run in, right? In this woman's time and culture, this was a disgrace. This behavior would have gotten her ostracized. So she is aware of these things, knows that other people know these things about her. And so the ironic thing is she's kind of hiding in plain sight. In, in the brightness of noonday, she's actually hiding because she's ashamed. And Jesus knows all about it. He's come to bring restoration. And we as a church want to partner with this sort of ministry, coming to people that, that, that are hiding in plain sight. Maybe behind their work, maybe behind their good looks, maybe, but they're hiding and they're putting forward something they don't want people to see. The brokenness. The need that they have for restoration. Jesus comes in, calls us as a church to come in to these sorts of, these sorts of scenarios. How's he going to do it? 
How are we going to do it? Did I just go up really loud or something? Sorry. How are we going to um, restore? What does it look like to restore someone, bring restoration? If you jump to the end of our statement there, restoration comes through or by way of the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to that statement before we go to the um, God, neighbor, city piece for just a moment. Did I get really loud all of a sudden? Why am I here? Did something change? Oh, oh, am I the only one who notices that? I'll try to get over it. All right. Um, so it's the good news of Jesus Christ that's going to restore. And I want to show you this uh, in the text in a moment. But before, I actually want to let you in on something. I, I, I really did. Uh, it might sound silly. I really did think over, pray over, whether our mission statement should say gospel or good news. Not just for because of the aspect of accessibility and other things, but um, for a reason I'll, I'll explain here. I actually landed on good news because I think it, it emphasizes something about the gospel that we're prone to forget. We're prone to forget. We can add gospel as kind of like this adjective to all sorts of things. Gospel music, gospel you know, mission, gospel preaching, gospel. Well, what is it? Well, fundamentally, in the Greek, the word means good news. And I wanted to bring that out and keep that ever before us, not just because it's common day language, but because we need to remember this. It was actually something I heard by uh, Tim Keller that uh, kind of tipped the scales on this decision for me. I wanted to read this to you. He's talking about gospel-centered ministry, what it looks like, and he goes into this idea of the gospel as news. And he's really just drawing from Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you're familiar with uh, him. This is what Tim Keller says. Some years ago, I heard a tape series by David Martin Lloyd-Jones, an evening sermon series on 1 Corinthians 15. In it, he made a distinction that was extremely clarifying how the gospel is based on historical events in a way that other religions just aren't. He said that there is a big difference between good advice and good news. The gospel, he would say, is good news, not good advice. Here's what he said about that. Advice is counsel about something to do. And it hasn't happened yet. But you can do it. News is a report about something that has happened. You can't do anything about it. It's been done for you. And all you can do is respond to it. Now think this out. Keller goes on. Here's a king and he goes into a battle against an invading army to defend his land. If the king defeats the invading army, he sends back to the capital city messengers. Very happy envoy. He sends back, in other words, good newsers, you could say, with his report. They come back and they say, it has been defeated. It's all been done. Therefore, respond with joy and now go about your lives. Conduct your lives in this peace which has been achieved for you. But if the invading army breaks through, well, then the king sends back not good newsers, but military advisors. And says, swordsmen over here, and marksmen over here, and the horsemen over here, we're going to have to fight for our lives. Dr. Lloyd-Jones says that every other religion sends military advisors to people. Read into religion there, even secularism and everything else, giving you, here's how to fix what we all know is wrong. They all have an idea. 
advice. It's how most of them make their money. But we come with news. He says, every other religion says, you know, if you want your salvation, you're going to have to fight for your life. Every other religion is sending advice, saying, here are the rites, here are the rituals, and here are the laws and regulations. Earthen works over here, marksmen over here, fight for your life. But we send heralds, we send messengers, we send good newsers. We send people who get to declare, not here's what you need to do to get right, but here's the one who's done it, so we can be right. Isn't that amazing? So the idea of news capitalizes or, or accents this idea that it is a finished work that Christ has accomplished. When you, when you open up the newspaper, you're not reading what they're, well, weather forecasts, fine. But typically the headlines aren't what's going to happen later. We don't know. It's what happened yesterday, or what happened the day before, or what's going on in the world, and what were the decisions and the big things that went on. What are the... It's about something that's already happened, something that's already been accomplished. And that's what the gospel is. It's that Jesus Christ lived for you, died for you, rose again for you. So that sinners though we are, man, we have access to God. We can be restored. One way you might put it, well, I'll get to that. I want you to notice first, actually, in, with regard to this woman at the well in our text, Jesus doesn't approach her with good advice. He approaches her with the good news. He doesn't give her kind of the ins and outs of her sin and how to go about cleaning the mess. He doesn't do it. He doesn't give her an action plan or ten steps to a better her. He doesn't shame her into shaping up. No, what he does is he declares, in essence, good news. He brings the gospel to her. He brings grace to her. I wonder if you noticed, he actually calls what he has to offer a gift. This living water that he has to offer. And he says, just come and drink. He says, man, this is a gift. It's not advice. It's something that just open it, just drink. But do you see that there in verse 10? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The gift of God. Jesus is saying, there's gifts to be opened right now. It's a completely different approach. I know you're thirsty. I know there are things in your heart that aren't right. And I've come with good news. I've come with the gift of God. I've come with living water. All you got to do is drink. This is the mission of our church as well, to come and herald this news. I mean, God forbid that we start to drift away from the center of what the church really is. It's founded upon what he has done, what he has accomplished. Finished work. 
Absolutely, are there implications and are there tons of applications? And should that radically affect our lives and our behavior and everything else? Yes, but we must always draw a a strong line between what you might call justification and sanctification. The only way to grow in holiness is to come over here and say, man, Jesus has done it all. And embrace that. Your heart starts to melt. You drink that living water and suddenly things start to change. But you're not going to get there from the outside in, right? You're going to get there by receiving the gift, the good news. So we hold that as a church. We proclaim it. Now, the result of this good news, really, one way you might put it, we can be restored upward to God, inward to neighbor, and outward to city because Jesus has come down to us. So because of this good news, all of these other uh, things uh, of restoration start to happen. And you can see it in the text here with the woman at the well as well. But let me um, look at these one by one and we'll, we'll get back to her story. Mercy Hill exists to help restore you through the good news of Jesus Christ to God. To God. Um, most everybody in our day, I think I've mentioned this already, but most everybody in our day would admit that there is something wrong. They know it. They might even know that it's not just out there, it's in here. There's something wrong with me. But I don't think anybody, if you were to go and survey them, um, typically is going to locate their problem fundamentally in a fractured relationship with God. They're going to stay in the physical, in the earthly, in the circumstantial, in the this-worldly kind of stuff. So, yes, I might identify I have thirst. I might identify that there's stuff that's off. But I'm not quite sure how it's got there. And I'm not willing to talk about I certainly don't think it's, I don't even believe in God. Maybe it has to do with my circumstances. Maybe it has to do with my bad health. Maybe the reason why I struggle with anxiety or depression is because the chemical composition of my body is off and I just need a pill. But we stay in in physical categories, in earthly categories. We know that we have thirst. We're not sure how to fix it. We're not willing to go to God, so we try a thousand different things. New career, new diet, new drug, new woman, new man, anything. We'll get that it's off. But the problem is, is we are looking to physical things to try to fix a fundamentally spiritual problem. And it's the same thing, actually, that you see Jesus going back and forth with this woman trying to get her to this place. Because she is where we all are by nature. And you watch this take place. As he's talking to her about living water, she has no idea what he's talking about. She's still remaining in physical, kind of earthly categories. She can't break through those. Did you catch that? He's talking with her about living water, and she's saying, you don't have a jar. What are you talking about? What, are you going to bring it up with your sandal? That's not going to work with your hands. It's deep. You can't get there. What are you talking about living water? You don't have a jar, man. doesn't make any sense. Or even at the end of the conversation there in verse 15, 
Even after he's tried to explain, she comes out, still doesn't get it. She says, sir, give me this water. Why? So that I won't have to come back to this well anymore. I mean, it'd be nice. It's hot. I don't like the, the possibility of people seeing me and all this. I could remain in hiding for good. I want to come back to this well. Thank you very much. Give me some of that water. Sure. Earthly, physical categories. She doesn't get it. So Jesus shifts gears in verse 16. It's okay. We're going to go deeper. We're going to go towards the heart here. And really what I'm talking about, beloved sister, This stuff is a metaphor. This well, this thirst, it's a metaphor for what's going on at a deeper level spiritually in your heart, your soul. That's why the random, seemingly random request, hey, go get your husband. You see, if she doesn't get it, he goes after it. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five, and now the guy you're living with isn't even your husband. You're desperate to try to quench that thirst, aren't you? How's it working for you? That's what I'm talking about. That's where I want to bring water. That's where living water touches. It's a place that this water from Jacob's well will never touch. Could never touch. And any other earthly thing can't get there. But I can bring it because I bring you, I restore you back to God. What's amazing is that by the end of all this, she gets it. I wonder if you caught it there, verse 28. The woman left her water jar and went away. Isn't that beautiful? Enough with the broken cisterns of this world. I have met the fountain of living water. I think that jar, again, left there is this metaphor. I don't need the dudes anymore to try to make me feel okay about myself. And just fill in the blank for whatever, whatever it is that you're trying to fill that void with. Don't need it anymore when you come to Jesus. You leave it. So our mission as a church is to Help people put the jar down and drink from Christ. He's the one who can restore you to God whether you realized you needed that or not. Get him there. To neighbor now. Um, restore you to neighbor through the good news of Jesus Christ. When you've been restored to God, in Christ, you can finally start to enter into relationships with other people. That might be a scandalous thing to say, but I would put forward that uh, though you have relationships before Christ is at the center, um, certainly you have relationships with other people. Those relationships can never get out of the me-centeredness until Christ has satisfied that fundamental thirst. Here's what I mean. Are you hanging out with people? Absolutely you are. But it's all kind of run through the grid of self-concern. So if you're hanging out with people above you, well, it's because those people make you look good. They enhance your image to hang out with a guy who has a name or a girl who has a name or whatever. 
If you're hanging out with people below you and needy or whatever, broken people, it's because it makes you feel kind of good about yourself to be a little bit above them and to have some good advice to share with them. Or if you're hanging out with people on the same level as you, well, it's because you kind of like each other. You get along and you have the same hobbies and desires and likes. But it's all run through this kind of grid of what can I get out of this? Because fundamentally, there's a thirst that has not been quenched. And so you walk around needing, needing. So I'd say we can't properly engage in relationship with neighbor, with other people, until Jesus has fundamentally restored us to God in a way that causes that well of living water to actually flow up and out of us. So now what we find in our relationships, because we've been plugged into God, is that we can now. The reason why this is the mission of our church is not just for unbelievers. This is for us every day, man. Are you repenting and trying to re-root yourself in the gospel and your relationships? Absolutely. But the idea now, though, is that we can actually tap into God through Jesus. And because of that, in my relationships, it's not about me uh, having something to prove. Not about me uh, trying to find something I can get. It's rather now I have something to give. So the relationships come into their proper perspective. And now you can actually be restored to neighbor. You can show grace when they hurt you because you don't need them to be everything for you. Does that make sense? Now, we get a window into the sort of community Jesus is forming around himself here in our text. Um, Jesus is breaking through countless barriers in this single uh, exchange with this woman. And I just think it's amazing. Shows us he is here to kind of break these barriers between neighbor and bring people together. That's what he, that's one of the aspects of his mission. And just restore us to God, restore us to neighbor. Let me show you what the barriers he's breaking through in this moment. For one thing, he's a man and she's a woman. Which in that day... Uh, the rabbis and things encouraged the Jewish men out in public, especially and especially with women you did not know, not to be discoursing and things like that for the sake of things like temptation or appearance and other things. That's why the disciples, if you caught it, when they roll back in, they go, what in the world is he doing talking to a woman? He's breaking barriers. He's breaking down stereotypes. He's forming a new community. Secondly, we see that he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. We've talked about this before, so I can't go into it. But the two were enemies. In fact, so much so that Jews would say, man, the Samaritans, at least a lot of Jews would say, the Samaritans are just perpetually unclean. And so the idea of him asking to get a drink from her jar, that would make this, that would make him ceremonially unclean, according to some of the thoughts of the day. That's why the woman herself goes, what are you doing there in verse 9? How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It's just not how things are done, Jesus. But he's reaching through barriers. Forming a new community. Neighbor to neighbor. Or third and finally, Uh, He's a rabbi, he's a holy and righteous man, and she is a well-known, notorious, it would seem, sinner. Why she's hiding out here, that's why she's ashamed, she's living in sin. These are guys that Pharisees, Sadducees, all the 
Don't be seen. Jesus was always getting flack for being, for being seen with these kinds of people, but he's doing it again. Breaking through barriers. Forming a new community around himself. Around the good news. Around the cross. His disciples return from running their errands and they see this going down. And we read this. They marveled. Verse 27. They marveled. What is he doing? So he's breaking through every barrier. Gender, ethnic, social, religious. And he's restoring neighbor to neighbor so that we are no longer defined by the things that the world loves to kind of offset one another by. But instead, we're defined in him. There's a unity. There's reconciliation. There's restoration to neighbor that's possible because of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we get to do that as a church. One of the things I love about this church is that if you're an outsider, if you're uh, just coming in, you've never been a part of Mercy Hill, maybe you're not even a Christian, you've never even been in a church, you walk in here, you look around, I love it. I love what. What do you think they see? Gosh, they see young, they see old. They see uh, extrovert, they see introvert. They see artist, they see engineer. They see blue collar, they see white collar. They see uh, people who have been born and raised in America, and they see people from India, China, Korea, Africa, Mexico, our little church. I probably missed some. And what do you think, as they're standing in the back, they're going, what do you think they're going to ask? What in the world is uniting this group of people? What keeps this diverse, motley group of people together? And I hope, I pray, after spending a service with us, the answer would be clear. The cross of Jesus Christ. The gospel. The good news. It has this inertia, almost like the sun that pulls in. People from all walks of life, ethnicities, gender, whatever. Together, around the cross. The good news of Jesus Christ is what restores us to neighbor. Last thing, and this will be quick. Thank you for your time. Restoring you to city. Restoring you to city. Just to clarify once more, restoring you to city means that your rest, your work, your play, your parenting, your friendships, the way you sit around the dinner table, all of life takes on a new meaning and mission. You have a new reason for being in the place that you are. You know why you're setting your foot here and you're setting your foot there and you're turning down this neighborhood and you're living in this house and you're going to that workplace and you're doing this, you're doing, you you have a sense of something so much bigger. And around every corner, there's new opportunities to live for more than just yourself. To live for God. You see this with the woman at the well and the way that it closes. And this is where I'll, I'll leave us. This is amazing. Verses 28 to 29. Her whole orientation to life has changed, has shifted as a result of, of this encounter with Jesus. 
his grace and being brought into this newer community as she's actually making human connection with him. And he's not ashamed to be seen with her. He loves her. It's changing everything about her, reorienting her towards the city. Look at this. Not only does she leave the water jar, she actually enters the town. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Did you catch how the story begins and then how the story ends? The story begins with these oddities. Why is she out here at noon when no one else is? Why is she coming alone? Oh, it's shame. She's hiding from these people. By the end, she experiences Jesus, his grace, his love, being brought into a new community. And she said, man, forget about hiding. Forget about the shame. I got to go to the very people I was once hiding from. And all the stuff I was ashamed of, I'm going to talk to them about it. Did you catch that? Here's the one who told me everything I ever did. What was it that she did? The very stuff that you would not want anyone else to know. If you were still defining yourself by who, you know, what you can do and by worldly standards, but when you get defined in Christ, your sin no longer is this threat to your identity. You catch that? Now your whole life becomes a platform for his grace. That's why the apostle Paul would say things like, man, I, 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 bo- I boast in my weakness. Or I go around and I tell people that I was a persecutor of the church. I was a worse sinner than you ever would be. Why does he say he does that? Because if you can get that the grace of God met me in my brokenness and my self-righteousness and arrogance, then guess what? You will know that it can also reach you. It's so that you'll know the patience of God. And you go, wow, that's why as this woman enters the city, the town there, it's different. Not hiding. She's broadcasting it. Because she knows one who's forgiven. Changed everything. Wants them to know too. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for... Well, for first of all, coming on this mission to us. <laughs> you have reached down into our brokenness and quenched our thirst and brought us into a new community, restored us to one another, and set our feet on a new ground, a new mission in the city and purpose, for reason for being. Thank you. We know we're a long way from it, and so the mission still stands for all of us. God, please help us be restored fully. We look forward to the day when the already gives way to the not yet, and we're with you in glory. But for now, we know the reason why we're here. You say it. We're here because there's more that you want to do. There's more that you want to reach with this, with this message, with your love, with your grace. And so we pray that your mission now by your spirit would become our mission as your church. God, would you make us effective for your glory and the good of this city. In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.